with us. Last week, you know, we started a short series. I don't even know if I would call it a series. I just got into a message that I didn't have time to finish, and so I'm going to make it a series uh, where we are looking at the Great Commission and what it means to be a Great Commission church. And, uh, and we looked at that one verse and kind of uh, talked about two ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those of you who were here last week know that we baptized four different people uh, last Sunday. It was fantastic. It was great. Uh, we got to do one here and three at the river. Uh, and then uh, we've got a couple more on our list. We'll, we'll get those as soon as the schedules kind of work out with their families and all that good stuff. And then we also looked at uh, the Lord's Supper and why we take the Lord's Supper. And we got all that from uh, Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 through 20, which is the Great Commission, should be on the screen. It says this, All authority in heaven has been given to me. All right, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We talked about what it means to be a disciple. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We talked about what baptism is and how the symbolism behind all that. Uh, And then we did this big, broad stroke, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And I know that even in that stroke, we can never, ever cover all that material. All the things that Jesus taught us to obey. We narrowed that down to the do this in remembrance of me passage that he said in, uh, in Mark. And so we, we kind of pushed all that down into one narrow focus. If we did teaching them to obey everything, we would be here for a long time. That's the whole point that we do church for anyway. Uh, and then it says, surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. And this is the part where we stopped and said, okay, we got to really talk about what that means this week. And then we'll get into this week. It's going to be a lot like that broad statement of teaching them to obey because we really can't fully grasp the understanding of surely I'm with you to the very end of the age in one in one meeting, especially in one message, because that would take months, and I don't have months. I've got minutes, and so we're going to work, we're going to work it all down. So it's, today's going to be a lot like drinking from a fire hose. Just, just stay with me, and we're going to go as far into this as far as we can. And we hear that sentence, I've got, uh, surely I'm with you to the very end of the age, that, that speaks to two fundamental truths within uh, church understanding and biblical understanding, and that is uh, the indwelling and eschatology. And everybody says, amen. We cannot wait to get into those two topics, right? Indwelling is just talking about how the Holy Spirit lives within us, indwelling. He dwells with us, right? And eschatology, that to the very end of the age, is the study of the end times and all the things that's going to happen at the end of uh, the age and when the world comes back around and Jesus comes back. And so, uh, obviously, in our time restraint this morning, we can only talk about one of those two topics. And, and I'm, I've chosen, since it's Labor Day, I'm just going to be real honest with you, I've chosen the surely I'm with you because I'm not getting into Revelation today. Now, maybe another day we'll get into the witnesses and the beasts and the, the dragon and uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I talked to Jerry and Judy Central class this morning and said, y'all should figure that out this morning so we can talk about it in here. Uh, but today is not that day, right? And so we're not going to get into the end of the age statement. We're going to get into the surely I'm with you statement. This idea of of the indwelling, and really that all points down to one main thought, and that is the Holy Spirit. Now, when we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, especially in a Baptist church, you get this mixed bag of emotions when it comes to that topic. Some of us are very, uh, very comfortable with the topic of the Holy Spirit. We understand uh, the value of His presence in our life. We understand the role that He plays in our ability to communicate with the Father and the understanding of, of how that all plays into our everyday life. We understand and are comforted by that thought of His presence with us. Other people are are kind of 
nervous. We, we say in our house, big nervous. We get real big nervous about uh, the topic of the Holy Spirit because we think, uh, we think of things like the Azusa Street revivals and early Pentecostalism and, um, and speaking in tongues and faith healing and Benny Hinn, right? We get all these wild images in our mind. And, and it really, those things, as much as they do have to do with the Holy Spirit, they don't have to do with the Holy Spirit. And so we've got we to gotta focus it down on what it really means to talk about and who this person really is. And so I've got, I believe I've got on the uh, screen, there's a, a man who named uh, Mildred Erickson. That's a really exciting name. But he wrote the book on Christian theology, aptly entitled Christian Theology. Okay, and so it's this big like war and peace type book. And, and in this book, he, he states three reasons why the doctrine of the Holy Spirit are, is important to the church. And so just real quick from the beginning, let's just kind of understand why this is important, why we're going to talk about it. So I'm just stealing this from Mildred um, and my buddy. Millard, that's his name, Millard, not Mildred, that would be a female, Millard, (laughs) Millard Erickson. Okay, number one, here we go. Um, The Holy Spirit is the point at which the Trinity becomes personal to the believer. I think that's really interesting because when we begin to understand what what it means to, to, to have the Holy Spirit, it is personal. The Trinity and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is this kind of, this beyond us thought, but to think that this is really this is for me, this is what's with me, makes this very, very personal to me. Number two, we live in a period where the work of the Holy Spirit is more preeminent than the work of the other members of the Trinity. <clears throat> it's meaning this, rarely ever do we hear a voice from heaven open up and say, do this, right? For the God of heaven speaking. We don't have Jesus walking with us in this moment, right? Because he's uh, already ascended into heaven. And so what we have now is we have the Holy Spirit. And that is the part where um, He is working now. We hear the voice of God through the Holy Spirit. We, we feel the presence of the God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so He's the most prominent working individual within the Trinity in this period of time. And number three, in a culture that emphasizes experiential, it's primarily through the Holy Spirit that we feel God's presence, right? So when we feel like God's talking to us, He's talking to us through the Holy Spirit. We feel like God is with us. We feel like God is with us through the Holy Spirit. We experience God through the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about Him, we have to talk about Him as though He is very much a part of the Trinity of God, because He is. We have to talk about Him as very much a person, a real person, uh, and, and He very much is. And, and we have to understand that, that the Holy Spirit has been around since the very beginning, right? We can go all the way back to the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was uh, the... I the to start, start quoting John 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Y'all remember that part? And it says, The earth was formless and dark, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so in the creation narrative, the Spirit is, has a very active role. All the way through the Old Testament, time and time again, we have mention of the Spirit. The Spirit is in creation, in sustaining creation, in uh, the speaking to the prophets and uh, empowering individuals through the Old Testament. Uh, the, the Old Testament word for Spirit, we talked about this a couple of Wednesday nights ago, in our Wednesday night Bible study, is ruach. That's the Hebrew word for spirit. And even David, King David, writes in some of the Psalms about God's holy ruach. And he he calls him the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And we sometimes think, well, the the Holy Spirit is is really kind of 
navigated and, and positioned for the New Testament, but he was all the way through the Old as well. And so we move into the New Testament, and obviously the role of the, the, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is, is pretty evident, right? All the way through the Gospels, we see the, the, the Holy Spirit uh, mentioned and, and talked about. Then we get into the book of Acts, and a lot of people believe that the book of Acts should be called Acts of the Holy Spirit, because it's just talking about what the Spirit of God is doing through the church, right? And so you have all these things going on, and then you get into the, we're going to give you fancy words, the Pauline, Petrine, and Johann letters. Did you get how did that? That's Peter, Paul, and John. All those letters talk about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in the individual's lives and the life of the church. If you read specifically about Jesus and Jesus' ministry, Jesus references the Holy Spirit a lot. He talks about how we have to have this new life in the Spirit. Remember, talk about John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. You've got to be born of flesh and of, and of Spirit. He talks about how the kingdom of God and the Spirit of God are hand in hand. <clears throat> he talks a lot about how the Spirit of God is going to come and help us, right? That He's going to go away, but He's sending a helper. And the Spirit is, has a number of different names throughout Scripture. I've got them written down here so I didn't mess any of those up. Uh, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, the Good Spirit, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Wisdom, the Helper, and many, probably 15 other ones, all about the Holy Spirit. So we have to understand who is He and what does He have to do with us. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We've got that on the screen because that's about as narrow as we could go. If you don't have a Bible, then uh, grab your phone. It should be uh, on the app on your phone or your iPad or in the pew in front of you. We're going to be in the Scripture this morning so I don't have any on the screen uh, because we're going to read a good chunk of this, and I want you to see it in your own uh, text. And so if you are someone who writes in your Bible, I encourage you to do that. Some people think that that's not okay to do, but I want you to write in your Bible because that's where you kind of make notes and you can underline things and circle things and uh, and so this is a good one to get into your word and start kind of drawing some, some real hard parallels to some life things. And we're going to get into all of that. Now, um, it starts off, Romans chapter 8, with probably the most common phrase of this, uh, of this whole chapter. And we're all going to know this by heart as soon as you hear it. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Most of you have heard this. Most of you have maybe even read this. Maybe that's already even underlined in your scripture. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you three points today. And the point number one is this. The Spirit gives freedom. Look what it says. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit's not here to condemn us. That word condemn means an adverse sentence, almost like a guilty sentence. And you say, but Matt, I, I, I believe that the Spirit of God convicts me of my sin. And I would totally agree with that statement. But there's a big difference between conviction and condemnation, Right? There's a big jump between the two of those. There's, there's no do whatever you want when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He, he, he continues to, to speak to us when our lives are out of line with the will of God. And He continues to convict us of our sin. But here's what He does. He does it so wonderfully. He will look at us and say, you have messed up. But He'll never look at you and say, you are a mess up. He'll look at us and say, 
You've made a bad decision, but He'll never look at you and say, you are a bad person. He'll look at you and say, this is not good. But He'll never look at you and say, you are not good. See the difference between conviction and condemnation? And Scripture says so very clearly that that we we have no condemnation because the law of the Spirit of life it says free from the law of sin and death. There's freedom in the Spirit. He's come and saying that you're no longer bound by sin. You're no longer a slave to this way of life because this way of life leads to death. You don't have to live like that anymore. The law of the Spirit is bound up in one thing. And that one thing is grace. The law of the Spirit continues to give grace. When you understand that the primary role of the Spirit is to extend grace, then you understand that condemnation and grace cannot coexist. That's a big statement. I'm going to say it again. Condemnation and grace cannot coexist. He set us free from condemnation so that we can live by Grace. How does he do this? Let's keep reading. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, saying what, what the law could not do, is unable to do, it was unable to extend grace, it was unable to save us, the law was powerless to do that. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. What the law could not do, God did through the son. Jesus came in likeness of man to be an offering to pay the price for our sin because the law could not do that. And so, He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Hang with me because that gets a little wordy. There's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus but He did come to condemn sin in sinful Man, this means, church, that there's no such thing as universalism. Universalism is this. When everybody dies, everybody goes to heaven. That's the thought of universalism. And this one phrase saying that he came to condemn sin and sinful man takes that thought and says, that's not true because there are those who are in Christ and those who are not. There are those who have put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus, and there are those that have not. Jesus came and died for everybody, but not everybody has accepted that gift of forgiveness and grace. And therefore, because He came and condemned sin in sinful man, that sin has to be paid for. But those of us who are living by the Spirit, who have the Spirit of God living in us, are not condemned in sin because when He sees us, He doesn't see sin. He sees grace. He sees the law of the Spirit over our life. And it says that that the righteousness of the law, all the stuff that we're supposed to be doing, is complete in us. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that He has done. Not because we're good enough, but because He's good enough. Not because we've done anything special, but because of what He has done for us. When he sees us, he does not condemn us. And so this thought of universalism is completely blown out of the water because there are those who are saved and those who are not. 
And because of that, we have our charge in the Great Commission to go and make disciples, right? This all comes back around to the Great Commission because there are people who need to hear who Jesus is. They need to hear that there is grace. They need to hear that there is forgiveness. There is no condemnation, right? And we can go all the way back to John 3.16. You guys know that verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. The very next verse, John 3.17, God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That's the whole point of Jesus coming. It's not to condemn us, but to save us, to give us freedom. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we have the Spirit of God in us. The Spirit gives us freedom from the law of sin and death. Because this law of sin and death leads to sin and death. And he says, I've given you the Spirit of life. That you can live in exactly what I want you to live in. Verse 5, keep reading. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor could it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. He's reemphasizing that fact that if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit, right? So here's my point number two. This is really important. Number two, the Spirit changes the way you think. Did you catch what he said? Those who live in accordance with sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So if you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit changes the way you think. The original language here says, set your affections on. And so when you read that, it says, those who live according to the sinful nature set their affection on what that nature desires. And those who live by the Spirit set their affection on on what the Spirit desires. What's your affection set on? What has the primary thought, primary train of thought in your life? What, what gets your very best? What, what drives everything that you do? That Man, I just, man, I cannot live without this. I love this. So I have to have this. This is what my affection is set on. Spirit changes the way you think. Changes it from that Sinful nature, things, to spirit nature, things. Ephesians 4.30 says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are settled for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And he flips it and says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. You see the change? From bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, and malice to kind, compassionate, forgiving as you have been forgiven. Listen, real talk. Some of you, some of your thoughts are consuming, right? They are vile and they are lustful 
and they are arrogant, and they are proud, and they're full of hatred and vindictiveness, right? You can't wait to get back at someone. Some of your thoughts are consuming. Some of you are consistently condemning yourself in your own thoughts. You know you've messed up and you've convinced yourself that you are a mess up. You know you've made mistakes and you convince yourself that you are a mistake. And you continue to play those thoughts over and, oh, you're not deserving of forgiveness. You're not deserving of love. You're not deserving of happiness. You're not deserving of joy. And you've convinced yourself that over and over and over again. And some of you are allowing the flesh, those negative things, to take up residency in your thought life. You've you've allowed them space and that space has become home for them. And all you think about is negative, fleshly, sinful desire. The Spirit says, the Spirit comes to change the way we think. It doesn't mean that we walk around going, I am the greatest thing in the world because I have the Spirit of God in me. But it means that you understand His role in your life and it means that you change the way you think, that you set your minds not on things of the earth but things of heaven. It changes. You get rid of all that malice and anger and jealousy and bitterness and rage and you begin to be kind and compassionate and forgiving. You see how that changes your thought life? You begin to see people the way God sees people. You begin to see situations the way God situations. You begin to think about your problems the way God thinks about your problems. And let me just say this from the jump. This is not a natural process, right? I can just see some of y'all going home and like your your kids are all over the place and you burnt lunch because the preacher talked too long and then like your husband says something, just the dumbest thing that he said in three months. And all you ladies are going to go home and sit on your couch like crisscross applesauce, I don't know what you call that anymore, and put your palms up and you're just going to sit there and go, I'm trying to set my mind on things of above, right? You're trying to set my mind on things of the Spirit. You're just trying to elevate to that. This is not natural. Don't go do that. If you do, husbands, take a picture of it, text it to me. She'll be on the big screen next week. I'm just saying, this is not a natural process. It takes time because when you begin to see people and think about people the way God thinks about people, then you have a burden for people. When you begin to think about your problems the way God thinks about your problems, they're not so monumental anymore. They're not so insurmountable. You know, they're, they're, they're manageable. They're just things. They're just issues. God is bigger than that. And when we begin to change the way we think and the way that we see and react and respond to God, it begins to change the way that we think. If we're going to keep reading through this, Paul describes our sinful nature and how we have this uh, obligation to not live by it, but by the Spirit. He talks about how he gives us the right of sonship, right, and intimacy with God. He says basically, I love it, Paul's just kind of straight out, he just basically says life is hard, right? Uh, And living by the Spirit is hard. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Like you read this passage of Scripture, Paul's just pretty straightforward. And that we patiently wait for the hope that we have in salvation because the hope that we have is where uh, grace and freedom and everything really come from and exist in. 
And then verse 26, he gives us this uh, third indicator of, of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And he says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. This is great. He, he, he tells us something and He gives us a great example. of it. This is not the only way the Spirit helps us, but I love the way He says it. So number three, the Spirit helps us. Did you see the words there? In our weaknesses. Okay, so these are areas that we don't like to talk about. I was uh, I was talking to Jess this last week. There's a, a guy that we know. I wouldn't even say that he's a friend of ours. A guy that we know uh, had a motorcycle accident, broke his pelvis, had some internal bleeding, broke some ribs, all this kind of stuff. And I said to her, I said, he just reminds me of the kind of guy that says, you know, I've never ridden a motorcycle before, but I'm just awesome at everything, so I'm just going to go get a motorcycle and ride it. And I said, your preacher said this, that's what he deserves. <laughs> Grace, forgiveness, mercy, God's still working on me. Uh, and, I, and I said, that's probably, what he, that's probably what he did. He just probably jumped on a motorcycle, bought one for no good reason, and just took off, and he ended up having a wreck, and he broke all this stuff inside of his body. And I think, I said, the reason why I said that is because he's awesome at everything that he does. And she looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I said, oh, he, he can play all these instruments. He can do all this stuff. He can do all this crazy stuff. He's, he's whatever, whatever. He's the best at everything. And, and Jessica's just looking at me and going, really? And I'm like, I know. He helps us in our weaknesses because that's what we don't tell people. When I'm, when I'm talking to people, I don't sit around and go, you know what I'm really awful at? I'm really terrible at this and this and this and this. You know what I'm really weak at? I'm really weak at this and this and this and this. We talk about how the good things that we are. And then I thought, you know, I'm not any different from the guy on the motorcycle. I'm not any, I'm not any different. Because I sat around talking about all the good things that I'm good at too. We were just, this is just the mind of the overall household. This morning we're talking about who can name all 50 states? Who can name all 50 states? And so we all get pieces of paper and start writing them down to see if we can name all 50 of them. I'm not going to say who named the least. And I'm not going to say who named the most because I'm neither one of those, okay? I'm kind of in the middle. But we talk about, nobody sits around and goes, you know what, I'm not very smart. You want me to prove how smart I'm not? <laughs> and they begin to list off reasons of how not smart you are. Nobody does that because that's our weaknesses. Nobody sits around and says, you know what, this is my struggle. If you don't believe me, if you don't have one, welcome to the world. Get a Facebook account or an Instagram, Instagram account. And talk, all you got to do is just scroll through about how awesome everybody's lives are. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Look how good my lunch is. Who cares? We're on this vacation. It's the greatest. Shoot for the stars. You'll never miss. Hey. Nobody ever gets on Facebook or Instagram and goes, man, life is stinking hard right now. And I made a lot of mistakes today. I've, I've blown, today I blew it. Today I had an opportunity to do something really great and I totally messed it up. Why? Because I'm an idiot. Or why? Because I'm not very good at this. Nobody talks about their weaknesses. The Bible says the Spirit comes to help us in our weaknesses. Now here's the, here's the crazy reality of all this. Is if you were confronted with someone who made you list off your weaknesses, you could. Easily. Because you're very aware of them. 
you're probably more hyper aware of your weaknesses than you are your strengths. And when you think about all the things that you're not very good at, listen, maybe it is with withstanding temptation of a specific kind. Maybe it's you're not very good at your thought life and controlling how you see yourself. You're not very good at extending grace to other people. You're not very good at being an example of mercy. You're very judgmental. Maybe you're very, you know, you know what your weakness is. You, you know what it is. And the Bible says he comes to help us in our weaknesses, in areas that we are so aware that we're not living up to God's standards, in areas that we know that if we were on a plumb line of God's will, we are way off side. Spirit helps us. And then he gives us this great example, this beautiful example of prayer, right? And he says uh, that the Spirit himself intercedes for us when we don't know what to, we ought to pray for. He intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. See, we like to think of, we like to think of our, of the Spirit as kind of like our conscience, right? Y'all remember the old little cartoons with the little angel and the little devil that would sit on your shoulder and whisper in your ear and tell us what to do or what not to do or what we shouldn't do or what we shouldn't do. We, we like to think of the Holy Spirit in that role, and that's, that could be further from the truth, number one, uh, because our consciences, our consciences will lie to us, all right? They will tell you that you are an awesome person. Oh, my conscience tells me I'm great, even though you may not be. They will also tell you you're an awful person, even though you may not be. And, and then we kind of we like to manipulate our conscience because we'll say, "Well, I don't. I have a very clear conscience about this because I know my heart." <laughs> that's a slippery slope, right? The other reason why that's not true about the Spirit is because the Spirit doesn't just sit in your ear and whisper things. He's there as an active role to help us. That's what the very first part of the sentence said. The Spirit helps us. That's not just with words and whispers. That's with actions and movement and thought. And, and it, it goes beyond it. He, he wants to enable us to do the will of God. The Spirit is very much active in what we want and what He is wanting us to do. And then He, he gives us an example of this prayer. This prayer is, is beautiful because when we just don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays for us. In our weaknesses of communication with the Father, the Spirit, praise. That means when you're broken, and when you're hurting, and when life doesn't make sense. Y'all been there, right? And you just sit down and you're just like, God, I don't even know, God. I don't even know what to say. Like this doesn't even make sense. And you don't know what you ought to pray. It says the Spirit prays for us. He intercedes for us. The Spirit knows you. He lives in you. He is praying in the same way when things are great and things are beyond your expectation and you're just thankful and humble and, and grateful for what God is doing in your life and you don't even know God thank you is so minute of a word to say to Him, to express to your heart and to say, God, this is bigger than I could ever even hope for, ever could even imagine. The Spirit intercedes for you and He helps you in your weakness to communicate to the Father. That's one example of what He does for us. But here's what you need to hear. When God, when God sees us, He sees the Spirit within us. 
when God hears us, He hears His Spirit within us. He hears beyond the superficial words of our soul, and He hears what the Spirit is saying, because when He sees us, and He knows us, He knows us because He knows the Spirit living in us. And so when you come to God in all of your weaknesses, when you come to God with all your baggage, right? We've talked about baggage in here before. And you kind of pile it all up and you're like, God, this is where I've messed up and this is where I've missed the boat and this is where I didn't do what I knew I was supposed to do and this is where I know that I stepped out of your will and everything went downhill from here. God, this is all of it and I don't even know how to say I'm sorry. I don't even know what to do next. God sees the Spirit. In you. And he speaks to the Spirit, and the Spirit helps us take that next step. That, that moving forward, not looking back, next step. He helps us in our weaknesses. So, these three things very simple the Spirit gives freedom, the Spirit changes the way you think, and the Spirit helps us. Paul tries to conclude this thought, and so we're going to conclude the same way Paul did in verse 35, or 31. Let's go back to 31. What then shall we say in response to all this? How can I wrap this whole thought up? What can I say in light of the Spirit giving us freedom and the Spirit changing the way that we think and the Spirit helping us in our weaknesses? What can I say about all that? And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? That is an incredible passage of Scripture. How can I wrap all this up about the Spirit of God living in us? If the Spirit of God is living in us, then who can be against us? God's for us. Who can stand against us? Jump down to 35. He says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Did you catch that? We like to start that phrase off with saying, we are more than conquerors. Where's that put the focus? On us. We are more than conquerors. That's not what the Scripture says. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, or anything else in the present or the future, or any powers, or height, or depths, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our love. He who loves us and gave His Spirit to us, who is with us, nothing can separate us from Him. We are His Now, if you look at this chapter in its entirety, it's bookended with two incredible thoughts. Beginning, there is no condemnation. And at the end, there is no separation. These two bookend thoughts just so define the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. There's not condemnation. He's not here 
to tell you that you're an awful person. He's here to help you. He's here to change the way you think. He's here to give you freedom. He's here to, to change and take all that away. And, and just so you know, He's always here. There's never going to be a point that anything could ever separate you from Him. There's no condemnation and there's no separation. We are His. We are learning. We are in our weaknesses, being helped. We are changing the way we're thinking. We are living in grace and freedom. And we are His forever and ever and ever. So this is how we're going to end today. The, the thought of no condemnation, no separation, living by the Spirit. Now, could we go on and on? Yeah, we could go on. I could go all the way through the New Testament and give you 45 examples of, the, of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, how He wants to empower you, how He wants to speak to you, how He wants to change the way you live, how He wants to change your heart to see people. and other. This passage of Romans chapter 8, I believe, gives us the best overview of how we can understand that. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. TJ's going to come, and he's going to sing over us and sing with us. But here's what I want this invitation to be. Very simple. This invitation is an invitation to live by the Spirit. This invitation is an invitation to understand that, that our hearts need to be changed, that our thoughts need to be in line, and that our weaknesses need to be helped. If you are here this morning and you're saying, listen, I understand this whole God thing. Maybe I don't understand it from the perspective that you do, but I don't feel like I have him here. I don't feel like I've ever really made that decision to come under his influence to be to have the Holy Spirit in my life. And listen, I, I want you today to make that decision because that's the most important decision that you can make. You can't live by the Spirit unless you have the Spirit. You can't have the Spirit unless you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I'll be very clear about that. Some of you just say, listen, there's some thoughts that need to change. There's some actions that need to change. There's some perceptions that need to change. I need to stop living by my sinful nature and start living by the Spirit. If you need to come and you need to pray, you're welcome to do that. If you want to come and talk to me, I'd love to talk to you. This is your opportunity to respond to what God's calling you to today. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you do for us, for your grace that you extend by the law of the Spirit of life. Father, we thank you. Hey, this is Matt Overall, I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.